Hey, Blockheads, welcome to episode 17, the Megan Gans Experience. Tonight's episode brought to you by Baby Shoes. They're just like regular shoes, but for babies. A couple of quick notes to get to. One, I was reminded that we might have gathered a few new listeners in the past half a year, so I figured I'd fill you in on what we're doing here. First of all, I'm J.R. Havlin. Nice to meet you. You look great. Have you lost weight? Anywho, I started Writer's Block Podcast because I've been at The Daily Show for 17 years. And I was genuinely interested in how my peers in the industry went about writing for the comedy shows that I watch all the time but never wrote for. This podcast is about comedy writing. It's about what makes someone a comedy writer. And it's about how what I think is some of the best comedy on television gets written and produced. It's a podcast for people who have these jobs, but mainly for people who want these jobs. And get this, it's free. What? Am I crazy? No. I'm just the most generous guy you'll ever meet. <laughs> Listen to me, jumping way ahead to my epitaph. Let's get to the main event, Megan Gans. Currently a writer for Modern Family. She wrote for Community, uh, or she did Community Service. That was unclear. She wrote for Important Things with Dimitri Martin, and she was a writer and ultimately the editor of The Onion. And I'm getting all this from credible sources, by which of course I mean LinkedIn and Wikipedia. But it's all true. And Megan was kind enough to fill me in on her unlikely journey and its well-deserved results. Fun fact, I never met Megan before we sat down, but it immediately felt like I'd known her for at least 10 minutes. This is a fun conversation, a great story, inspiring, informative. You're going to love it. You're going to love Megan. And you're probably going to think I'm okay. And that's fine. That's all I can ask. But make sure you stick around to the end because Megan unloads an amazing first draft script writing technique I guarantee you're going to use. One last thing. I usually start the podcast by saying, you're part of the writer's block. Now, let's do this. But a friend of mine told me that Mark Marin, whose podcast is a tad bit more popular than this one, also has a tendency to start off by saying, let's do this, which apparently slipped by me. So I got to change it up. But that's what writing's all about, the rewrite. So here it goes. You're part of the writer's block now. Um, let's do this? Nah, I'll think of something better later. Now let's do stuff. So thanks for squeezing me in. Of course. You had an appointment this morning. You are busy. I Well, I had a different appointment this morning that I had to cancel because of the because I had to get the allergy pills for this. Is that where you went just now? Yeah, that's uh, where I was. Like, you I said it was an appointment. You did was it an appointment to get allergy medicine? Yeah, well, oh. I was going to an allergist to get oh, medication to, so that they would write me a prescription to get medication that I'm going to go pick up after my... It's like as soon as you're unemployed and you have all your days free, it's like you can't... That's when you don't have like anything you, to do. You don't want to whisper it out loud because then all of a sudden, then my weeks just gets packed with like right. weird little things that'll all come in like one, and now I'm trying to fit people in. I'm like, I should have the whole day. Now, and by to... unemployed, you guys are, you're, you're done? We're done for the season. And I don't exactly know, like I, I switched over to Modern Family mid-year. Uh -huh. So they have an option. Basically, I've signed a contract for three years. They have the option. Three-year contract? Yeah, most Christ. contracts are three years. Really? For... You can, yeah, you can get out of them 
fairly easily, but it doesn't look great if you're like getting out of your contracts all the time. And they always have the option not to bring you back. Right. I think they have the option not to bring you back like every week and a half or something, don't they? No. It's only, only, um, I think the first year of the contract, they can decide uh, midway through the year not to bring you back. But then after that, it's like if they pick you up for a year, they pick you up for a year. Right. And so and you haven't heard yet? I haven't heard because we just finished last Friday. That was our last day. So in about a week or so, I guess my agents are going to call and say, well, how's it looking? Do you want to bring her back? And then uh, they'll tell me whether <laughs> Is that what or not. they talk like? <laughs> I don't know. I'm glad that they do that because I... It's so funny. <clears throat> my gauge for whether I'm coming back, I think it looks good, but what I'm basing that on isn't any real conversation I've had. It's that they've been making jokes about me not coming back, which I feel like would be really mean if they weren't yeah, planning. Yeah, it's so a dead. It's a giveaway. It's a giveaway because they'll be they'll say things like in the final rewrite that we were doing. They were like, "Oh, somebody wanted to make a, their stamp." Like if they wanted to put their mark on things, now would be the time to do it. You know, if you really and like nudging me and stuff, oh, like boy. this. But is it, this Ben Carlin doing that? Uh, no, thankfully <laughs> he's new too, so he's like. Well, he's, he's been there like a, he was. He started this year or yeah, he the year before? He, maybe I thought. I think he started this year. I'm not exactly ben sure. Ben used to be the uh, head writer and executive producer at the Daily Show, mm-hmm. and now he's, he's and he was roaming around for a while and dropped down at Modern Family, which is mm-hmm. a good place to it was, drop down. Yeah, and it was great that he was there because. A lot of those guys um, have been working that job for a long time Uh and have also been in the industry for a long time. And so it was good to have somebody that was like, I'm a newbie as well. Like, do you have any questions? You know, because... And you had the the Onion Connection. And the Onion Connection. I mean, I never actually met him before. Right. He was there a long time ago. He was there a while ago. Ben worked at the Onion and Megan worked at the Onion. And why don't we just get that straight, even though they know it from the intro... I'm here with Megan Cans. <laughs> yeah, we started. We started yeah. in the middle. Yeah, we started. Yeah, <laughs> which is which is very nice. Uh, a writer for Modern Family, and uh, just started. Just did a half a year, waiting patiently to find out whether or not we'll break that news when that news breaks. Yeah, come to the writers' <clears throat> block to find out. Yeah, January. I started in January. Um, I it was kind of crazy because I. Community ended. We only did 13 episodes. But you were there for five years. No, I was at Community since the second season. So um, three seasons. One was like a half season. But two two full seasons and like a 13-episode season. And then um, that was, like I said, three years. They usually sign you for a contract for three years. So my contract was up. I had the option of renewing it or not renewing it. And I had kind of... Community has gone through so many changes to the point where... The last year that I was there, there was only one person that was still there from the first, from the first even season before that I were... the supposed big mix-up. Now, with... yeah, it was like every year on that show, about half of the writing staff left and was replaced by new people. Um, sometimes that was at the direction of the of uh, the showrunner. Sometimes it was people just going, "This job is a little intense, and I can't do it." Um, so there had been so much changeover that by the time we got to the fourth season. I was I was only working with one person, including the showrunner, wasn't even there anymore. There was only one other writer that had been there since second season when I started, and I just felt like I'm a stranger in a foreign land. How so, wild. what was that? I said that's wild. Yeah, it was. And why um, is that? You say is are there like that was your first job writing for a sitcom, mm-hmm. so you didn't necessarily have anything to compare it to. But um, yeah. having been somewhere else for a half a year, what? 
was do you feel was like the was there is there a stark difference in yeah. how they operated? In fact, how about if that? I had done Modern Family first, you wouldn't stay I as wouldn't, long. I wouldn't have you been, would have been able somebody to, bailing. I wouldn't have been able to put up with the community because I didn't know. I kind of figured, oh, this is what TV is. It's like you don't have an outside life. You're here all the time. You yeah, know, that, that's that, kind of the semi-description of it, no matter where they are, a yeah, little bit. Yeah, that this is all you do all the time. And then now I'm on... I mean, I also realize that Modern Family is at the complete opposite end of the spectrum, which is it's it's people that have been working in the industry for a good number of years. They uh, have families and children, and they need to be out by a certain hour. They consider 6 to be... They come in at 10, they work until 6... That's the work that they get done for that day. They nice. work hard while they're there, but then they leave. Is that they your go schedule? Home. Yeah, that's my schedule now, nice. which is... I didn't think that existed outside of The Daily Show. <laughs> I had never heard yeah, that. Yeah, um, it does. You know, there, there are a lot of shows, especially like um, multicams and things where they keep a pretty tight schedule. Um, I realize that it's totally uh, your sh- the showrunner you're working for. If the showrunner you're working for has an outside life that's as important as the job that they're working. They have to keep those things balanced, which means that the show is kept at a balance. If you're working and this isn't, this isn't saying anything against Dan, because I could totally be one of these people myself Uh that falls into having nothing, having nothing else that my uh, draws my energy. except for You don't have to get home. Yeah, I don't have anything to go home for. And if they to don't feed your feel that way, dog. Yeah, to feed yeah. your roommate's new dog. But and I, at the time that I was working on Community, it was I had just moved to the city. I didn't have that many friends. I lived in a one bedroom. I didn't even have a couch in my place because I was there so often that I didn't really need one. I was never home. You never ended so up buying furniture. Even. I had a mattress on the floor, What's and up? I was working. I was working in prime Such time. A glamorous job. Yeah, right. Glamorous job. I had no kitchen table, no couch. It's like I had a dorm a room. Yeah, and it was I, it was funny. I remember maybe three or four months into the job, I was watching um, a cops episode with my friends, and they were, were busted into some drug dealer's house and were like lifting up his mattress on the floor to like find drugs or whatever. <laughs> and we were laughing and we're like, "Oh, look at how this guy's living!" And then I was like, "That's how I'm living right now." Right. Like I live like a, it's a drug front for the someone. Milk, the milk crate side table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like bo- overturned boxes that are put lamps on top of. Because it was like, who cares? I don't. And my entire focus was on keeping that job. And then, um, so you're, so you're there. This is that community. You you mm -hmm. just started. This is the first, how how did you, how did you get that job? Um, I mean, you, so you were working at the, oh, well you worked at Dimitri's Dimitri's sketch show. So I was working at the onion and I've been there for three years. And, um, while I was there, they did a, this American life piece about the onion, um, that was on this episode called Tough Rooms that uh, they interviewed a lot of us for and, and my voice was on there a bit and they had interviewed me about it and I, listening to it now, I feel like I sound like a baby. I was like 22, 23 years old or something mm-hmm. when they recorded that because I got the job at The Onion right out of college. And, um, but that's kind of cool though. All of a sudden you're 22, you're on This American Life. I, it was like, crazy. Who were you and, talking and Glass. Re- oh, and the reason that it was crazy was because... Isn't it weird? I'm sorry to interrupt you, no. but isn't it weird to see Ira Glass talk? It's very strange to see his voice come out of his mouth. Yeah. It feels odd because I've only known it to come out of headphones course, in my yeah. ears. So strange. And uh, it was great because the first day... That I, I've always been obsessed with that show. In fact, the reason that they came to, the, to interview us, part of the reason was because I had written an article about about This American Life called, um, the headline was, 
This American Life completes documentation of upper middle class existence. And it was about how they had like covered it. It was done. Anybody yeah. that has gone to college for four years and, and has a six figure job, they know they, yeah. they've detailed every part of their life. And um, I guess Ira Glass would get asked about it a lot at different events that I do. Have you read the Onion article? Have you read this Onion article? And so then he contacted the Onion and they were like, kind of wanted to do a piece on the Onion anyway. And they had this topic that it fit into. And so they were, and of course my nice um, guys that I worked with the Onion were like, oh yeah, there's a girl, the girl that wrote that is obsessed with you. You know, like letting Mm -hmm. him know there's a weirdo. But he really, he came came the first day to interview to start, because he came a couple days and like recorded all of our meetings and everything. And I was, of course, the only one that showed up on time that day. Like, so I was the only one in the room when he came in. Oh, eager, wearing a all, nice, all a nice eager, new shirt. Yeah, like ready, <clears throat> had done my vocal warm-ups. And, uh, and we were just chatting while he was waiting for the people to come in. And um, he started asking me, like, you know, kind of vaguely, like, how did you get started in this? And I started talking, and then he goes, okay, wait, hold on for a second. I'm going to get my microphone. And I was like, oh, my God. I said something that was so interesting that Ira Glass needed to record it. And that yeah. was, like, a huge... But you hadn't said anything. <laughs> I didn't say anything and it was like but it was a huge moment in my life I was like oh he found that he was like I've got to get this on tape after that came out uh and my what is now my agent the guy that's now my agent at UTA um called me in my office in um at the onion which was weird because I I think that to this day the whole time I worked there for three years that was the only phone call I ever received on that phone because we never called each other Uh on the phone we were never even in our offices like we would meet and then we'd go home to work but it just happened to be in my office happened to pick up the phone and this guy is going like I'm an agent at UTA and I heard you on This American Life and I was wondering if you had any representation and I knew nothing about the whole I know and I knew nothing this is not how it always happens this is not how it happens in fact this is why I sometimes avoid telling people how I got in because sometimes I will get the response oh so you kind of lucked into it which makes me want to punch a wall because it's not luck that explains all the holes in your walls here yeah (laughs) people ask me a lot um (laughs) No, but it, it, it was, yeah, the, you know, this, so this guy calls me and I didn't know what UTA was. I didn't, I hadn't even thought yeah. of agents because I was only, this was a year and a half. <laughs> I don't even know what, the, what it stands for. I didn't know what was going on. What could on, it stand so, for? I mean, what, what, what was going through your mind? Like, I really thought it was like a United teachers, like they wanted you to be a teacher. So I, thought I thought it was, it was like a scam. Like, do you know when in high school when or they UTA, go, they're trying to replace your phone service or something? Well, no, it was more like, you know, when, in, um, when high school they go, they call you and they're like, you've been selected to be in this who's who book and you just have to pay like a hundred dollars and then we put Is your that name all it in costs? this and I get to be in the book like, but it's what? like a total scam because you get the book and it's like fine fine print oh, with man. everyone's name very and it's like who's even buying this book other than the people that pay to have their names put on it. it's like one of those so that's what I kind of thought it was and so I kind of blew him off on the phone I was like look I don't really have time I'm going to a meeting I'll you know let me take your name and number or whatever I'll call you later and I hung up and then like a couple days later I was talking to a friend and I was like, yeah, and then some weird guy the other day called me from UTA. And they were like, oh, my God, call that person back. What are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, ah. So, ah. so then I, I started talking to, to him. And he, at the beginning, we just, every couple months, he would call and be like, what's up? Are you thinking of going into TV? And I was like, no, I'm really happy with my job. I really like it at The Onion. The Onion was my dream job. I didn't have any plans to move on from right. that. But then um, by the third year that I was there, I was um, associate editor. So the only step up would have been to actually run the paper. And I had I didn't really have any interest in doing that. And I also, it was like one of those things where you don't think about what you could do next until you've 
Like I was 24 years old and I was already doing exactly what I wanted to do. And so I was like, I wonder what else I could do, you know? But then, then of course, then you have an agent in your ear being like, you could do anything. Move to Los Angeles. Yeah. yeah. Um, You could do anything that could get me 10% to what you do. The possibilities of your money making potential (laughs) are limitless. You can't imagine what I can make. I mean, what you can do. But um, so he kept talking to me about a spec script, which I didn't know what that was. And he was like, if you get a spec script, we now, this can... Is not this is not 40 years ago or something. No, I mean, this you... was 2004 or 5. So, yeah. and, you, and, and you honestly had never heard oh, no, the this term was, spec script? No, this script? was 2008. And I never heard, yeah. I moved to New York in 2006. So this was like around 2008. I'd never heard of it. In fact... It's not that I didn't know. I had never thought about before that there were teams of people that wrote sitcoms. For some reason, it had never entered. It's like, I don't watch so That was credits. not a job that you even considered having. It, it was not a job that I even really knew existed. I mean, I guess in a weird way, I knew that there were TV writers. But I thought about them You've more in terms of Dyke. late night. You just thought it was a, just, I, uh, yeah. But I, uh, you I thought it was thought people in it. black and white sitting around in Underwood. I, I always thought, though, those people are born and raised in Hollywood. And that's so foreign to my experience whereas the onion i was like oh those guys grew up in madison like that i'm from the midwest that seems like something that i could get into and uh and it made sense that somebody like me could write for something like that but tv it all felt very glamorous you know Mm -hmm. and i was never felt like a glamorous person in my life and um and so i (laughs) cut to you with a mattress on the floor and a a lamp on and a lamp just sitting on a box that came in i was so poor because they don't also don't tell you that for the first like because of all the contract signing and everything for the first six weeks that I had the job on community, they weren't paying me for six weeks. I didn't get a paycheck. So I was dirt broke when I was getting paid. You just didn't get a check yet. I hadn't. Yeah. Getting paid, but no checks actually coming to me. And so me and another guy who was a staff writer, Adam County would like pool our, little bit of money that we had to like get lunch together. Like we, I'd be like, I have $10 oh today. Let's God. go get lunch. Working at a network TV show, having, going home and being like, how am I going to pay for the gas to get into work tomorrow? Were you just stealing so stuff from the uh, craft services? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 You just yeah. load up go, the purse uh, before you go home. Well, they have a kitchen in the writer's room. And so I would come in and eat like three meals a day in that kitchen, getting cereal and everything for me to but, um, like bags that just randomly said like Ron. Yeah. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> Ron's running around later like who the, the fuck drawer. did this? Yeah. <laughs> Ron, um, you make a really good sandwich, by the way. I just. Like, <laughs> uh, um, but but so he had been asking me. This agent has has had been mentioning spec script, which I googled uh, to figure out what it was, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> It's been a lot of my career oh, is God. saying, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. I don't know exactly what you're talking about. And then going, Can I just have to go use the bathroom. And then with my phone in the bathroom, Googling things. Right. But that, that's, see, and, this is interesting. I, you know, because like I, I understand you like you're talking about it. it. It grieves you when people say, oh, you lucked into it because you're obviously you're you're working hard. It's you know, the writing comedy is something you wanted mm-hmm. to do. You didn't th- think about TV. So you didn't really know about TV. But um, I mean, you have to admit a little bit of it landed in your lap. The fact that the, the you, things things happen that are out of your control that lead you to something else mm-hmm. that you never thought possible, and all of a sudden you're sitting on the toilet googling spec script. Yeah, but I will say it's like the thing that irritates me when people say that is more that um, when I, for instance, you could say because so when I was in college, I was working for a newspaper that was very much like the Onion, which is 
the and that newspaper got. I think I read about it. What was the, the name of it? Uh, the Michigan Every Three Weeks. Yeah, Every Three Weeks. Every Three Weeks. Because the the regular Michigan paper was the Michigan Daily, so we were the Michigan Every Three Weekly, and we came out about every four weeks, which uh, was another funny layer <laughs> to it. Um, but was that uh, on purpose? No, it was just once a month, and you know, okay. it was like. Um, but uh, but so. That paper, I worked on that paper my freshman year. I went straight there and I said, I want a job on this paper. And I started working. And by my junior year, I was running the paper and I ran it for my junior and senior years. And that that paper got contacted by The Onion along with like nine other humor publications about this writing fellowship that they were starting, which was a new program, <clears throat> a new like Onion internship at The so. Onion, which they'd never done before that was actually there specifically to train writers for The Onion, which they'd never done before. And I've heard, um, Onion writers in the past have said, which I think is really true about The Onion for the most part, that um, you don't become an Onion writer, you are one, and then they find you. It's It feels like one of those things where there's no clear path for how to get in there. Like mm-hmm. um, uh, one of the guys that's worked there for years, Joe Garden, he got his job because he was at a... He was in Madison working at a, a liquor store, and he was the one that made all the funny. He made all these funny signs to put on the liquor. So, the one I remember was there was so like um, a, like describing a wine, describing, or and it was like it, it start. It started mostly. He would describe it this way. It started mostly information with a little joke, and then by the end of him working there, it was ninety percent joke, and like you could barely find the price anywhere on the. You know, because he he would make a sign, for instance, for the beer that would have a picture of a brain, and then at the beginning, at the front of the brain, it would. He would have a line and it'd say frontal lobe. And then the back, he would have a line out that says back a lobe. And the middle, he would write mick a lobe. Mm-hmm. And that was like over. That, so those were the types of things that he would do. And one of the guys that was an editor at The Onion at the time would go to that liquor store. And he thought the signs were so funny that he went to Joe and said, hey, would you like to start coming to our meetings? That's how. And he's been working there. He was working there for like over 20 years. You oh, know what I mean? He's like, that's. God. So that, that's the sort of way that you get into there. But. We got contacted. It was the uh, it was the Twitter of its time. Yeah, <laughs> very localized. You had yeah. to walk into specifically that right. liquor yeah, store. Yeah, but you know, it's kind of the same thing. It's like a, it's interesting. Like uh, um, I was talking to uh, Phil Rosenthal yesterday. Mm-hmm. He was talking about Twitter, and he he just recently started getting on Twitter, and and wasn't sure like you know how this operates or yeah. why you do this or that. And but I was kind of explaining a little bit of like that that this regardless of what you and I think of it is a is a huge outlet and mm-hmm. people get work from it. I mean, yeah. you think of like Megan Amram or something like exactly, that. Exactly, you know, because like, it's content first. It's a really good way you can to get put your attention. resume out there without having it seem douchey. People can come and look at it without you knowing. It doesn't feel right. like outward network networking. It feels like, like Megan Amram, hilarious. The first thing that you see when you go to her page are just pages and pages of jokes. Right. And, and it doesn't have... Oh, I'm this person and I live here and I you don't know a lot of information about her. The first right. thing you see about it is how funny she is. Wait, because mine is very else. much like I'm this person and I live here. So you just made me, <laughs> you just made me feel that I'm gonna have to rethink this is the my brunch that I had today. I'm gonna, no, I'm gonna have to rethink like my that. Twitter there persona. Are people that like her and Rob Delaney, the stars of Twitter uh-huh. are mostly jokes and then little bits then of that, that sounds like life. a shitty variety show in the seventies that they would have put together by now, like <laughs> the stars of Twitter and just the stars it's, of it's Twitter. Megan and Rob Delaney and, yeah. and, and you know, Suzanne Summers. <laughs> but <laughs> And they're all in a swimming competition. Yeah, with their, their bathing suits on with that, those big feather plume peacock things in the back. Yeah, why not? Um, but, oh, so, so um, we got contacted by The Onion to do this writing fellowship thing. And this is where I 
this is why I don't like when people say you just fell into it because yes, it happened to be that I was working for a newspaper that got contacted at just such a time when the right. onion was doing this program. I applied just like everybody else did with 25 headlines and a few like short writing samples. They told me later when I was working there that they took all the names off of everything. So they were literally just reading our jokes yeah. and they went through the whole pile of submissions set just mine aside and then went through again to find the other person because they needed two people. So yes, things fall in my lap, but also it's, I work really hard yeah. when to get, once I get those opportunities, like um, with community, with, you know, when I did write the spec script, when I, um, when I wrote my uh, packet that got me Dimitri's show, I worked really, really hard on them. And I, and, and it wasn't like they were just looking for anybody and I filled that anybody spot. They're, they're always looking for a very specific person. And thankfully I keep, I, it seems like I keep being a person that somebody wants. Yeah. I think, I think the, the, the more proper way of putting it, because your story is not uncommon and, and it reminds me of like, you know, when people ask me how I got my job and stuff mm -hmm. like that, it's like, well, that's, it's not like there was a help wanted sign out in front of the Daily Show offices and I walked in yeah. and was the first guy. And yeah. it's like, oh yeah, sure, great. Okay, you just, yeah. you know, how, how are you on the grill? Can you work the grill? And, we'll, <laughs> and then and then yeah. maybe we'll have you write some jokes. There are, there are always things as we're going along that kind of can fall into our lap. The, the, the question is, are you prepared for yes. it? Yes, by the time they get there, by the time that, that they had sent me a thing that said, write 25 headlines, I had been working at a newspaper very much like that for four years for free. And reading The Onion and, 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 reading and knowing the it up. Literally, I was going to the jobs page, at, which I found out later that they never updated the jobs page. Mm. But when I was in college, I went to it once a week because I thought one day it's going to say writer wanted. And I was doing that every week. I was check <laughs> I was reading all of The Onion, checking it send all the time. Send us your spec script. See, send, then you're in trouble. We, send a picture in your resume. Like, I was expecting <laughs> that at some point. It never happened. But I did all of that in preparation for this opportunity that came. And then that one, and, and then I'm working for The Onion. And yes, what happened at The Onion was that I started working with these agents. They said, okay, the Colbert is hiring, you know, here's how you put together a packet for Colbert, which I wouldn't have known did it, if I not didn't have agents. Right. But as soon as they told me that, I spent all my free time working on this packet, sent it in. I got an interview at Colbert, which I didn't get the job, but... Um, I got an interview, which my agents saw me get an interview and go, oh, guess what? We're your agents now, you know, like overnight. It was like, oh, we're, right. we're working with you now. Went and did that interview, didn't get it. Wrote a packet for The Daily Show. I didn't get that one either, but worked really insanely hard on these packets. And then by the time Dimitri's show came up, well, now I'd done a couple packets. I knew how to do it. Right. I, I had never written a sketch before in my life, and I wrote two. I had to write two sketches for that. Worked really hard on those, turned those in, and that's what got me that job. Then I came out here and pretended like I knew how to do sketch writing and read, spent all the time that I wasn't at work going home and and reading things about sketch writing, watching um, sketch shows, trying to like get into that, you know, trying to learn how to swim so that I wouldn't drown and worked really hard the whole time I was there, realized sketch wasn't necessarily like my forte. But then by the time I was done with that job, I had been writing in final draft a little bit more and I starting to understand what scripts were done like because I hadn't 
ever written them. The right. packets, like I'm sure you, you never know. even read like your classic Sid Fields kind of thing. No, because I I took I was an English literature major, so I never took any screenwriting classes or anything like that. So mm-hmm. when I got the job at Dimitri, they were like, "Oh, you know how to use Final Draft, right?" And I'm like, "Totally." And then I went home that night, watched a bunch of YouTube videos w- about Final Draft tutorials to try to learn how. To, so I went like like an idiot in front of everyone else, learned, taught myself how to use Final Draft. But by, so that by the time that job was done, I wrote a spec script about It's Always Sunny. <laughs> Just like your your career is just constantly by the skin of its it teeth. It really it really is. I mean, to the extent that when I got a phone interview for Dimitri's show, my agents had said, to, "I said, what am I supposed to say if they ask me how much sketch experience I have?" And they were kind of like, "Oh, you know, just say you're really interested in sketch and that you've been like kind of skirt the issue." And I so I'm like, I'm not gonna do this because. They're going to use some term that I don't know. And I'm going to caught in a lie. I'm not a good liar. And so the very first question they asked me in my, um, in my phone interview was how much sketch experiences I do, do you have? And I said, well, you read my packet packet. So you've read all of my sketch experience. Yeah, right That's on it. it. Yeah. But I said to them, you know, I'm a really fast learner. If you like those sketches, I can obviously, I and wrote you had those. a bit of a resume. I mean, you were at the Onion. A, Everybody knows I, the Onion I and likes the jokes. Onion. I know how to yeah, write right. jokes. Yes, I don't really know how to write sketches, but... You know, sometimes people value that. Like somebody who is totally... You could have in turn asked Dimitri, how much do you have? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where, where are you coming from? Well, I, I read your two sketches and, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It has been, my experience has been, I've been getting opportunities before I'm necessarily ready for them Mm -hmm. like the community was the same way the first time I went out for the first time I went out in the hiring season which I didn't even realize was a season until my agents were like okay what happens is in March February and March in April you go out and you meet with all these shows and that's how you try to get hired and you need a spec script and this is how you do it and you meet with other and they were telling they were literally in the process of teaching me the process when I got an interview at community which I had said to them Community is my favorite show. The only reason I want to stay in LA is to work on community. I'm not really, I don't love it here. I'm not really that interested in staying out here, but I would stay for community because I really, I think that's a great show. And then they sent me on a few general meetings. I met with somebody at NBC who sent my stuff to Dan. Um, Dan had already kind of known me through Twitter, like you're saying about Twitter. I had, this is how he had known me. Uh, I made some dumb joke to him uh, over Twitter because I started following him because I really like the show and mm. a friend goes you have to follow this guy on Twitter he's insane the guy that makes that show is crazy and he's saying a bunch of stuff on Twitter that you're not supposed to say like about background stuff that's happening at the show so I started following him made some dumb joke to him over Twitter one just day just replying to one of his just replying about the Domino pizza tracker you know that they have about like where if you order a Domino's pizza you can watch oh, right, the status yeah. of no, it going sweet. to your house made some dumb joke to him about that because he was talking about it he started following me so and it wasn't we had like never met in real life or anything Uh but when he got my name from nbc of nbc going hey there's this girl that we want you to check out we met with her we think she's he just recognized it he knew me already kind of through that way and so it didn't feel totally alien to him and then i got brought in for the interview um but it's amazing how like all these little things that you do can help and how um how many how, how much more how many more of them there are now than there than there yeah. used to be but the like you just kind of never know where lightning is sort of going to strike mm-hmm. and also you can be the funniest person in the world and be a really bad employee and go nowhere in comedy like mm-hmm. you can show up on your first day 
be tearing the place apart, making everybody laugh. And if you can't deliver on deadlines, if you can't adjust, for instance, you can be really funny, but not funny in the way that your showrunner needs you to be funny. And you could be shit out of luck. You have to be able to adjust very quickly to your showrunner's sensibility because ultimately your job on a show is not to be, at least the way I perceive it, not to be the funniest person in the room. It's to be, it's to pitch things that your showrunner can put in his scripts and and to pitch not like you don't have to a hundred percent always give him exactly what he wants but you can't be pitching things out of left field like when i got the when i was interviewed for modern family they said very directly to me are you sure that you want to work for a show like this and not some like indie adult swim like nothing really means anything everything's random absurdist thing and it was a very but i really respected the question even though it kind of hit me off guard i respected the question because but they weren't did you get the vibe they were kind of shitting on shows like no they were i mean it I, is a I, different thing it's a totally different thing yeah. i mean they weren't shitting on them but they were going is this what you're into because we don't want you to sit in the room and be pitching us absurdist weird right yeah gross, that's not whatever. our show. That's not our show, and we can't use that. Well, so it, we want to make sure that when you walk in the door, that you, you know, like you're going to want to work for this show. And I said to them, you know, I I've watched your show. I think it's funny. The reason that I um that I wanted to do this job was because I think I can write a funny episode of your show. I'm not just doing it because I think I'm hilarious and yours is the best, the most popular show on television. So I want to bring my particular brand of comedy. I want to be, <laughs> I want to mix it up. I want to change I things. Do, I want to change the way you and, do things and around and here. It's what's so funny is like when I got the job, people like their first reaction is always, Oh, you should do something about this character or you should make it. You mean people outside, people outside like um, non comedians will say to me, Oh, you know what you should do? You should fix this. I always thought that, that Gloria should do this. this. Isn't and the name Gloria Delgado, by the way? Yeah. That's my mother's name. Really? Yeah. That's so weird. Yeah. I Well, I knew it was Gloria all the time, but then uh, I, I never put the Delgado together, yeah. even though they called the kid Del. They use the name yeah. with him every once in a Manny while. Manny Delgado. Yeah. I, I knew Manny Delgado, but I never put That's it together strange. with Gloria Delgado until they one time. They look exactly they, the same, too? They use the whole name. Sophia? They look. They're very similar, you know, um. from what I remember <laughs> as a child. Um, but they were asking me this and I, and, but I totally get what they're saying, which is, and, and I said the same thing back to them. I was like, look, I don't want to be beating my head against a wall here anymore. I said, look, anymore. asshole. <laughs> look, actually, you know, it was funny. Dick face. I've already had it with I, you, but here's what I'm going to do for you. I think I may have gotten that job because I walked into it being like, I don't, I don't know if this is right. I don't know if it's right for them to hire me. I don't know if it's right for me to go here. But I went in with an open mind. I I, I hadn't been watching the show. I, when I went into community, I had been watching the show all the time. I was a huge fan of it. I, I memorized you know lines from it. And I wanted nothing more than to tell Dan how he's a genius. This show, I frankly hadn't been watching. I didn't think it was unfunny. It wasn't something that I like cringe at when I saw, but I just hadn't been watching. I hadn't Sell been it. watching it. Sell I mean, it. <laughs> I know this is terrible. And this is what people like, this is, this is why I'm an asshole because I, because I walked into that, uh, that interview going, you know what, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And if I don't get this job, then I don't get it. And I don't want to work at a job where I'm not wanted. And I don't want to really be a person that somebody can't use. I want to feel useful at my right, job. Right, That's right. a big that's, part of that's it. A, and and what, you're, what you're talking about when you're saying these things about the show is just kind of being honest about where you were coming from. Yeah. Because it is like, I wonder how much of the question that they asked you in the first place 
came from the idea that uh, uh, how different community is yeah. from that a show. Lot. And so they're like, you're coming from community. You realize this is not that show. And they looked at my resume and they go, okay, community, The Onion, Dimitri Martin. Right. Modern Family is decidedly right. a, a left turn from that. These are it's, good credits, but this is not. These are really good credits. Yeah, this is not our training ground. But we're yeah, but we're not necessarily lock and step in with those things. Mm-hmm. We might be a little bit, and and it kind of. I mean, honestly, when I I wrote on Community, my second episode I ever wrote was an episode that was basically making fun of mockumentaries of the format in general. We did an episode that was a documentary episode that was filled oh, with that, interviews that, that and, he he filmed himself. Yeah, that he filmed, that Abed films, yeah, right. and Pierce is in the hospital, and it was totally making fun of shows like that. You know, there's a line in it about how even if your story doesn't really come together, you can always do one of those montages in the end where you play nice music and have like a thoughtful voiceover and then everything. That was it. I wrote that in an episode, and then I'm now working on a show that does very much that thing. Yeah. So I did, and before I went to the interviews, I watched a bunch of the and episodes. And very effectively, though. I mean, very you know, effectively. That is, and, that, that, is, that is a thing, but sometimes, they, um, like, I, I feel like that's, that's the thing that South Park mark, mocks every time yeah. with their speech at the end mm-hmm. is, you know, is that. That I'm going I'm to wrap it up, but then they just shit on something. Yeah, and I, I always enjoyed that about it. But the, uh, um, you know, it's not necessarily used on on that sh- on Modern Family in particular to simply wrap up something quickly that you weren't able to wrap up mm-hmm. creatively within the show. They use them to advance the character as mm-hmm. well, and that's why it's effective. I mean, you yeah. can fuck those up or you can do them right, and they use them right and sparingly so that it doesn't become like oh, at the end Marlin they always do this and, thing. Yeah. And and at the end of the episode that I wrote for Community that was about this, he says, you know, you can always wrap things up with this nice montage, but the last line is, I'm not knocking it, it works. Because it's true. It's like, you don't, you frankly, as much as people say that they love alternative comedy and everything, you generally, most people don't turn on the television to have their world rocked. If they want to see something that's nice, <laughs> they want to feel like things are resolved. That's the reason I watch American Idol, just to get out. <laughs> Rocked. Yeah. That's why I watch The Voice. But no, but you watch sitcoms in general because you want to see characters that you love go through problems and then have resolutions within a half an hour because life doesn't work that way. Mm. Resolutions are not neat and tidy. Things don't wrap themselves up. So as much as I love, and I'm a huge fan of like British sitcoms and stuff, but it's hard to it's a little bit harder to watch shows like that because things are generally it happening in a negative direction like people's lives are worse by the end of the episode talking sometimes. about like the, uh, the original office yeah like the that. original office that started the first episode of the first series started with them one of their their branch might be closing and the very last episode of the second series was he's fired so it's like a negative trajectory yeah. now in America, like a lot of our TV shows, they're not, people are supposed to advance, but they're going to advance slowly. Characters are, and it's supposed to be a safe place where you go and you don't think, like nobody's going to die. You don't want to have a baby in season one. Yeah, exactly. You don't want things to move quite so quickly. Like things are supposed to just be kind of, it's like a, it's a lukewarm bubble bath that you get to slip into while you're eating your dinner. And, and you know what? And I used to... Again, sell it. I know, I know. (laughs) But it's like be... Be realistic about what people actually enjoy watching. And I want to work on the I want to work on the show you end up creating. No, but community, I, I like your atmosphere. Community did that. 
Like that was the thing. Community, you could say that every time you tuned in, it was like a whole different thing and everything was crazy. And we're in a Law and Order episode this week. And then this week we're going to the moon. And it wasn't a nuts show, but it operated on a three act structure where problems were brought up in the first act. And by the third act, things were resolved. Yeah, right. Every single episode did that. And yes, every time they changed the genre, which was why some people didn't like watching it because they felt like, how am I supposed to connect to the show? I don't know what it yeah, is. Now it's a, a Western or something. Yeah. It's a, I don't know what it is on a week to week, but if you watch that show, it is very like people have problems. Problems are resolved. People are mean. People say, sorry. That's how that happens. There are, there are characters that you can care about or not care about. And that have the relationships that you want to see develop or not. Yeah. There's and they, will, they, and, won't and they, they, do, stuff, they always did, you know, that. regardless of how much they would mix stuff up over there, they, um, there, there, there was always the ongoing story with the characters, yeah, and 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 the the way they would the way they would develop, mm-hmm. and and so like you know, that's what probably kept it um, uh, from dying maybe yeah. sooner than it because would. Because the the that any cool stunty thing you do is gonna run its course after yeah, a while. Yeah, you need to balance it with a real you, story and yeah, real people that you, you don't have characters you care about, and frankly, and that's what in the end is like why I like working on modern families because those are families that I understand. In fact, my, the breakdown of my personal family is exactly like the Dunphy house where I have an older sister. I'm a middle child and I have a younger brother. So I, I've pitched them arcs that are wholesale, just a thing that happened to my sister and I from my life. And they like that stuff because their, their stock and trade is people watching the show and going, Oh, that feels like my family. Tell Tell me one that got, that got done. I I, had, I pitched him a storyline about the first time that my sister and I happened to be flirting with boys at the same time. And in the middle of us flirting, or what I thought I was doing was flirting, she pulled <laughs> Turns me, out she, it was poking him in the eye. <laughs> yeah. She pulled me into a bathroom and said, what are you doing? What, why are you being like that to him? Why are you being mean? And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm flirting. And she's like, no, you're not. Like, you are trying to emasculate him in front of me. Like, I'm watching you tear him down a peg. And my thing was that at that point in my life, I, I was so nerdy for so long and, and it was so not a pre, like there were no guys interested in me when I, when I was, um, when I was in eighth <laughs> now grade. Now we're getting real. Yeah. Well, I had big giant plastic glasses, freckles, which I still have really awkward, way too tall for my age. I used to go out on the playground and read books instead of playing with the other kids and that was only on the days that my fourth grade teacher wouldn't let me stay inside and watch him feed his boa constrictor that was me when I was younger and and when I was in eighth grade I got contacts and I thought up oh, the is world is going to change mm-hmm. and I wore them to school the first day and nothing happened and until I was like 15 the first time I got kissed by a boy I was 15 the first time a boy's lips touched my lips was when I was 15 I didn't I didn't have any of those things where you're in like 5th grade and some guy kisses you oh, right, behind just whatever. spin the bottle sort nothing. of like quick thing no nothing until I was 15 and the first time I made out with a guy he had to stop and be like you're clenching your jaw relax your jaw because I was so nervous. <laughs> How old nervous. was he to know? To he know, was 17. He was 25. He was 25. Was <laughs> Which with all the, he came back from college. It's all this experience. <laughs> but but I was so, I was so ner- nerdy and nervous about guys that I had decided that in my mind that I wanted every guy that I came across to know that I didn't need him. That, that he, that I, 
I, I, I, I, I Well, was, you know, that's funny. That sounds like the middle girl. Yeah. yeah. She's exactly me when I was growing up. Way too smart for my own good. Have you but discussed that, that with the people at the show? Yeah. So that like... And, and, and also and, and, my and, dynamic with my sister, who was older, right. more popular, Yeah, that's crazy. Pretty, you have a younger more, brother as well. And, and it was exactly my dynamic. And I said to her, there became this really interesting point right about the time that we were both going to college where I'd always figured I was super smart. So you were that close in age as well. Two, two yeah. years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly the same setup. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were so close in age um, that, so we were going to college at the same time. And I realized about the time that I was heading into college, I'd spent so long thinking I was so brilliant and smart and knew better than everyone else. It was so sarcastic and everything that when I got to school, to college, I realized Okay, but now nobody, is, there's no social hierarchy. Nobody's calling you a nerd. Nobody is not wanting to hang out with you because of the way you were in fifth grade. And now it's your fault because you don't have any social skills. You never develop. You said, I said to myself when I was younger, fuck you guys, I don't need you. I, I, I don't need to be liked by everyone. I don't care about the popular game. I'm not going to play it. But I was so good at not playing that game that I never learned how to just interact with people who were being friendly with me. So when I started flirting with guys, it was all hostility that was built up over years <laughs> of me going, I don't, I want you to know right off the bat that I don't need you. Like right. I, I've said on dates that's before. A good, yeah, that's I a had good a date once line. where. That's a, that's a strong <laughs> opening line. Do you mind if I try that tonight on somebody? I had, listen, I would say things like this and think Can I would Can I buy you cute. a drink? But before I do, I want you to know something. I, I, I really don't, don't like you. I don't need you. This I don't like you. This doesn't have to happen. This is, just, this is actually kind of will. a pain in my ass. I, I said to a guy on a date, and I thought that this was a good flirting thing. He <laughs> said, unmasculate. And I said, it's actually emasculate, but I think you understand the concept. Yeah. And I thought Which I he, didn't, being, he probably didn't even get either one of those. <laughs> he, thought, he looked at me like I was the world's mm-hmm. hugest yeah. bitch. And I was like, oh, I'm a bit of being so clever. Like, you must be attracted to this. So that's a storyline to pitch them with I my sister. I bet you was like the girl who, like, instead of, like, who, who gets flowers taken back from her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, screw you. Yeah. Can I, I have those back? Either. Yeah. And uh, here's, a, here's the number for a taxi company. That is, but, but the storyline was essentially that my sister pulled me aside and I immediately took it as like, stop making fun of me. And she was like, no, I'm really not trying to make fun of you. I'm, I'm trying to help you here. And in a way I'd always thought of myself as a lot smarter than my sister, but it was the first, it was one of the first times that I started realizing, oh, she's very intelligent about a certain facet of life that I am not. When you write for these shows, I I suspect that like uh, when you write for any show, like a lot of your personal experience comes into it. Mm -hmm. So this just played right into you because I mean, what you're describing is not only do I remember the episode, I can't remember it exactly broke down that way, but I seem to remember her really giving her a pep talk and being sort of like, this is almost the first time that you've acted as a big sister who gives a shit about me. Yeah. Yeah, And I said, and they were looking for a way to move those two characters specifically away from constantly fighting with each other to genuinely accepting each other. Oh, that's how you pitched it. Well, I said, here's how the movement, I told them about me and my sister, and I said, here's how the slow movement happened between high school and college of me and my sister going from being rivals from the point that I was born where I was like, I'm nothing like you. If if you take French, I'll take drama. If you do sports, I'll do that. You know, I wanted everything to be separate from her. Um, She... 
And then slowly, when we stopped having to share everything and we started seeing each other a little bit more just on a level playing field, how I slowly came to not only realize that she was smarter in a lot of ways than I'd given her credit before, but that allowing the space in my life by me admitting I'm dumber in ways that I've never admitted to you before. I have insecurities that I've never shown you and things that you can help me out. And then And you maybe her, did want to be one of the cool yeah, kids. Yeah. And I, I certainly want to have <laughs> friends. I certainly care about people liking me. The right kind of people it, it made sense for me in high school to not care because nobody liked me but when you get to college right. you get to choose your own friends people are not playing that game anymore and suddenly i don't i don't know how to play i don't know how to be at a party and just be normal or dress myself or put on makeup and or she do kind any of, of taught things. you that during she taught me period. all of that it's a much more complex relationship and and one that's more worthwhile that i value a lot more in some ways, because I know for a fact that if I didn't know my sister and we had met at a party when we were 25 and 27, we would have not spoken for five minutes to each other because we are not each other's type of person. Mm -hmm. And my brother, for instance, we'd be best friends, regardless of blood relation or anything. We're just like totally simpatico. But I value my relationship with my sister a lot more in a lot of ways because of that, because she is a person that in real life I would have never made myself spend enough time with that I would come to an understanding of how the other half lives. When she takes me and things that I want to know, like how to buy a dress for myself, like if I didn't spend enough time with her that I know and appreciate all of these things about her that I t tell myself I don't value. And then she, I, but I can allow myself now. I know you. I know you're a smart, intelligent person who respects herself. So if you tell me you can buy a dress and heels, it's oh, okay. I thought, I literally, I thought you were talking about me. <gasps> and then you said herself. I was like, gosh, <laughs> shit. You're going to help me buy a dress. Oh, man, I thought I had something going here. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, if I had it to do over again and I knew I was going to try to go into comedy and yet I was going to go through college, I would be a psychology major. Uh-huh. Because yeah. the stuff you're describing, yeah, the, the the way you're describing your relationship with your sister has a level of understanding and a level of insight that a lot of people either are incapable of or or just don't bother getting to or mm -hmm. can't see. Mm -hmm. And and that's the stuff that's really fascinating about human nature and about human yeah. relationships. And now you take those things and you're good at what you do because you can apply them to these other characters and make them real characters and that people And act in the relate. way that people would really... Right. In fact, like my, my biggest... I'm, I'm trying to write now a pilot of my own. That's my big plan for the this The one hiatus. I'm going to be working on later? <laughs> the one you're going to be... That I'm going to be hiring for soon, hopefully. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm going to try to write I'll a pilot. I'll send in 25 jokes. And my, and my, and my uh, biggest hurdle, because I'm writing it about a personal experience that happened to me, my biggest hurdle there was a psychological one of... I wanted to write about an experience that I had dating a guy, but I didn't want to write it in a way that made the female protagonist seem like a victim because there's nothing funny in having your protagonist just be shit upon by the world with no result. At least I, that's not the sort of show. I know that people have written shows like that. That's not the show, sort of show mm -hmm. I wanted to write. And in, I was in, in the moment of thinking about it and I talked to my therapist about it a lot about what is it that's funny? How do I give her enough agency that it's okay to laugh at because she's not a victim? She needs to be the reason that these things are happening to her so that you can find comedy in it. Because if she just met a guy that's really terrible for her, there's no funny in that. It's like, oh, she met a bad guy. So psych psychologically, like I've actually been thinking about taking, I to go see a therapist, but I, but I also recently have been take, thinking about taking psych classes because being able to understand why somebody is 
um, irresponsible in a way, like how you can do things that make you make certain people attracted to you and whatnot. I can write those into characters so that she doesn't just seem like... Right. And that was the biggest hurdle. It wasn't the joke writing. It wasn't the, I need to come up with the name of my main character or where she lives or any. It was, how do I write this in a way that is funny and not me being like, guys are so mean to me. And I came and I came up, I finally made this big breakthrough that felt like a psychological, emotional epiphany that had nothing to do with jokes or anything, but is now able, going to allow it me makes to be it able work. to, yeah, to make it work. I love that your psychiatrist is your sounding board for kind the of. comedy pilot that you're working yeah. on. <laughs> kind of. I mean, she, she, she was a, a person that said, like, you need to figure out what's funny Wait, the about doctor this is too. a she? <laughs> what? This whole thing has been uh, a big gag? Oh, God, I know. I'm just, my mind is, is blown. But yeah, I think, I think psych classes would be very helpful, to, yeah. especially if you're wanting to write narrative. Yeah, and, and I kind of want to, let's, uh, we'll make a pact. We'll, we'll look <laughs> into taking psych, psych classes. classes and I would like, like, I would we'll do it online. Do University like of Phoenix, let's look into it. I have to start doing this of letting people lay down so that I can do these on you know, my couch. <laughs> I have actually, it like a session. I have one more piece of advice that I always like to give Please. because um, because I, it was something I learned on Community that I found really helpful. And this is more if you're writing a script. This isn't so much helpful to get a job, but maybe it is if you're writing a spec script. We did this thing. Dan uh, Harmon used to t- had this process, which I don't know if he created or is just what we called it. Was called spit drafting, which is basically like. You're writing a script, you have the outline, you know what's supposed to happen in the scenes, but you're having a hard time actually writing out those scenes for whatever reason. You're having a hard time getting the jokes and all that stuff. So you're kind of stuck in an area. We would do these things called spit drafts, which are you're supposed to purposefully blow through them as fast as possible. So instead of writing dialogue, if you have a scene that says that Annie and Jeff are supposed to get into a fight about what sandwich they're gonna eat, and then Abed comes in and tells them that the library blew up. When you, you type it out in Final Draft and you say, you put Annie, the character, and then her dialogue is, I am in a fight with you right now. And then Jeff says, I have a response to you fighting. And then, well, I think that you're a jerk because you wanted yeah. to eat a pastrami sandwich and I didn't. You just write subtext. You right. write it blatantly on the page. That's great. You say exactly what's, and then Abed comes in and he goes, now is the part where I tell you about blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I, I and you can even type script. blah, 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 blah. We used to that. swear in them like crazy. We used to write, like you'd have... Pierce say like I'm a racist homophobe just like the p- subtext of what the joke maybe would be later you have people swear sure that to- line was I for totally Pierce act- and not just for Chevy <laughs> but yeah but totally act outside of their characters you would have you know aides would walk in the door and say something and then walk out you would just write it stream of consciousness basically but you're getting the but story. you're getting the shape of the scene and you would write it about to the length of how much that scene could take up in your script. So if you needed a 30-page oh, script, right, right, right. you write it, you portion it comes your out scenes the same out. Length. It comes out the same length and everything. And you make sure that each line of dialogue is about the size of right. dialogue that you're sure. going to have. But it's just the shape. It's like the, we called it spit draft. It's just crazy, the shape of a draft. And honest to God, it helps so much because if you can't write out your outline in a spit draft, your story doesn't work. That's because great. Because you uh, should yeah. at least be able to get through the scene with everyone saying the subtext. If you can't do that, then your scene doesn't work. On top of the fact that, that that's that's really amazing. And I think that's that's an unbelievable, fantastic piece of advice for somebody trying to put something together. Mm-hmm. Because if you start from scratch and try to get the exact line that you want yeah. in there, you're making a massive mistake. 
and you become married to those lines, which yes. is bullshit because then you don't want to change the story, the, make the change in the story that needs that to be made to because make. now I can't use this joke that I'm married to for it's, no reason. You don't ice a cake before you've made the cake. You I know? ice my you tongue have to, <laughs> and then I eat, and then, then I put the cake, the cake in. Inside, which and then is sometimes I skip the cake, <laughs> the cake. I just, you just ice, eat icing. I ice. Do you have any icing here? Because that's, again, but that's the only thing I'm doing. It here. is really helpful and it also just. It's so much easier to to go back to a 30 page script and go, well, I have a 30 page script that's full of shit. I would never turn this in, but now I have a jumping board. We have a sounding board yeah. or a, a jumping off point to go, okay, not this, obviously. Pierce isn't going to say I'm a racist homophobe. Right, right, right. But, but the story works. Let's, the story let's fill works. in the lines It now. feels like a thing. I could, I would never turn this in, but a version of this that was full of great jokes, I would totally turn in. And Plus once you that, get to that place, you just fill in the jokes. It's just so much easier to go so, back yeah. in and replace. Right. But because also you, you, you know that like a, cer- a certain joke can lead you in a direction that you know of that is yeah. happening later. Uh-huh. And that if you tell a joke that doesn't work for that later, then you kind of have to think of another joke. And That's also when you're going stream of consciousness, sometimes you come up with jokes because you're not thinking of mm-hmm. writing jokes and mm-hmm. you come up with great jokes off the top of your head because you've allowed yourself to go, you're not really writing jokes right, right now. You're just doing a spit trap. Amazing. Thank you for throwing that in course, because that yeah. was That's well worth it. That's my one yeah. thing that I keep wanting to tell everyone. I'm like... Don't get stuck. Just write stream of consciousness. Well, there you go. There's the payoff, listeners, for (laughs) for sticking around. You did the right thing by sticking around for all that time to listen to Uh, me and Megan speak. Megan Gantz, thank you very much for coming on the Writer's Block. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is really fun. All right. Say goodnight, Megan. Goodnight, Megan. See, she got it. Megan Gantz, y'all. What'd I tell you? And how awesome is that spit drop thing? We're getting our learn on together here, Blockheads. I'm totally using that. Next episode, who knows, could be the Woodstock Writers Festival episode I've been promising you, but it might be the fabulous Gene Parrott, an Emmy Award-winning writer for The Carol Burnett Show, Welcome Back Cotter, Three's Company, and he was Bob Hope's head writer for 12 years. Writer's Block is going old school, and it's great. I was so glad I got together with this guy to find out how they did it back when I was first getting influenced by it. Whatever the order, one of those will be next, the other will follow, and I suggest you catch them both. And bring a friend. They'll love you for it. That's it. Say goodnight, blockheads. Is that Mark Marathon? I sure the fuck hope not. Mm-hmm.